nations will rise and fall. The world will feel like it's crumbling around us. There will be times where we feel unable to carry on. Our most trusted people will hurt us. But God is still in control. God is still good. God is still providing. God is still faithful. Our God has been, is, and will be the greatest strength in our lives. We can be still because God still is. Good morning, everybody. How are you? So my name is Noel, I'm one of the pastors here, and it has been about five weeks, so it's been five or so weeks, exactly five weeks, uh, since I've been up here to preach, and so I've had the opportunity to do what you're doing, uh, to sit where you're sitting, and I mean that because sometimes I was in in-person services, and sometimes I watched online, and sometimes, uh, one time I, I listened to my car, I did not watch, but I listened to my car as I was driving uh, between cities, and I've had this great joy of learning from all of our teachers as we've worked through uh, this book of Daniel. And you may recall that last week we hit this pivot point in this book. And so if you're just coming back, uh, if you're a college student just joining us back, we are halfway through the book of Daniel, but don't worry, we're wrapping it up in the next two weeks. Because we are going to fly through the end of the book of Daniel. And this pivot that we hit last week was a pivot between historic narrative and some absolutely weird and intense prophetic visions. If you were here last week, you may remember we, we saw a, a four-headed winged leopard, for instance, uh, in one of the prophecies. And one of the things I loved about listening to uh, James and Frank and Tony's messages last week is they did a good job of reminding us to keep the main thing the main thing when we're reading these prophecies and that ultimately they're all about Jesus. And one of the things I loved uh, last week on Tony's message on the West Side is he talked about the fact that the purpose of apocalyptic visions in the Bible is to reassure us. And that may seem super counterintuitive uh, because sometimes they're so freaky, but the whole purpose is to reassure us. But sometimes that reassurance doesn't come right away. And the case in point I have for you is Daniel. <laughs> Daniel, who had a unique gift to interpret visions and dreams, was still so freaked out by the visions that he, we just covered last week that this was his reaction at the end of chapter 8. It says, Daniel was overcome and lay sick for days. He said, then I got up and went about the king's business. I was greatly disturbed by the vision, and I could not understand it. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse right there is incredibly relatable. I love the humanity uh, that shows us in Daniel, because the thing about Daniel, if you've been tracking with us through this series, he's almost too holy, Right? He's like one of those rock star Christians who seems to get everything right. And sometimes we can read about these characters in the Bible and, rem and we forget that there are leaps of decades between the different chapters. And Daniel didn't happen to get everything right in his life. He just happened to have the things that he got right in his right life recorded for us, right? And not only that, we now see a little crack in his emotional armor where he is so freaked out by this vision that he has just seen and the interpretation of the vision that he just had seen that he laid in bed sick for days. 
which is consistent with a lot of studies that we've seen on how our emotional and our mental and our physical health are all overlapping and interrelated. And Daniel just couldn't get out of bed. Eventually, he just got up and went to work, right? And yet he still was not able to shake the funk. Let's go to the next verse, which is chapter 9, verse 1. Where it says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, which, by the way, makes me think of like a tiny little dinosaur with glasses going, aha. Um, so, <laughs> there you go. The first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, aha, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom. Now, what's happening here is we have just leapt forward in the narrative 30 years. In chapter 6 and chapter 7, Daniel was in his 50s. Now he is in his 80s. It also means that the Israelites have been in captivity for 66 years. Hold that in your head while I read the next two verses. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord of the prophet of Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70 So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. By the way, I love what motivated Daniel. What motivated him to pray? He was reading the Bible. Now, of course, he didn't have the fancy leather-bound Bible like I did. He, He had a scroll from Jeremiah where Jeremiah had written down these prophecies, but he was motivated by the word. And what he noticed was that this siege was about over that there had been this prophecy that the siege was going to last 70 years and it had been 66. And, and, and you may remember from chapter 6 that Daniel three times a day would stand at his window and he would look toward where the city of Jerusalem was, this holy city of Jerusalem, and he would pray three times a day for it. And, and he just loved the city of Jerusalem. He loved the people of God. And now he's read in Jeremiah's words that this time of exile was coming to a close and it motivated him to pray to God. By the way, I love this. Daniel knew what God had said that he was going to do, and so now he prays that God would do what God said he was going to do, which is a great model for prayer. Read your Bible, see what God says he's going to do, and then ask him to do the thing that he said he was going to do. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. And this is a great way to start praying, by the way. Daniel begins praying by praising God for his character, and he's praising God specifically for the character attributes that apply to the situation that he is going to pray to God about. He's like, God, you're the God that keeps your covenant. You're the God who keeps your promises. And he's about to pray to God that he would keep his promises. He's reminding God of his character, that he is the God that, that promises that they would be in exile. And he's the promises that he would be protected when he was in the lion's den just a few chapters ago. He knew that God is the one who, who fulfills his promises. Verse 5, he says, we have sinned. This is his prayer done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, ancestors, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us. The men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, and all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty they have shown towards you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our king, our leaders, our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. 
Now watch this. What Daniel does is he moves from the character of God to the character of people. He talks to God about who God is, this covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God, and then he moves toward how people are so different from God. He calls sin what sin is, and he boldly confesses sin with a sweeping we. Let me go back through this passage. Check this out. We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened. We have public shame. We have sinned against you. Now, this is powerful on so many levels, and not the least of which is that Daniel, of all people, was doing really well with God, right? Remember, this guy's a a spiritual rock star, right? He is one of the the few people that we know of from Judah that were still standing for the Lord when they were in captivity. He was not one that had been flung away in exile to another place other than where he was right there in Babylon. And he swept himself into the we. Daniel understood that he as an individual was a sinner. And Daniel understood that he was part of a nation that was sinful. And I think we can learn a lot from Daniel. (laughs) Sometimes when we come to God in prayer, we often dive into all the stuff we want God to do for us. That's pretty much the tone of our whole prayer life. (laughs) And that's okay. A, A save me God prayer. That's a good one. A, 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 a lead me not into temptation prayer. Good prayer, right? Those are, I'm not, d- not denying those are great. But we tend to always have it be about us. I love how Daniel starts with God, the character of God. And then he acknowledges the gap. As a spiritual rock star, he not only acknowledges his sin, he places himself inside of his community, and confesses their sin. We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. We have turned away. We have not listened. We have public shame. We have sinned against you. We have. Now, if we have a sin in our culture, and we have a few... One of the big ones might be our hyper-individualism that is getting more and more and more at center stage of our world where we get to decide everything for us. We are in charge for us. We don't tend to see ourselves, therefore, beyond ourselves in the we, right? In fact, some of us honestly would be barely able to choke out Daniel's words here when he says them because we look at the world around us and we see the sin in the world around us as worse than the sin inside of ourselves. And we tend to fail to acknowledge that we are part of the community. And for the next few verses, what Daniel does is he gets very specific about both God's character and the sin of his people. Check out how he does it. Verse 9. He says, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him. And we have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. 
All of Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And so what we're seeing here is that Daniel knew the word because now he's moving not just from Jeremiah's scrolls, he's moving to the Mosaic law. And he says, when I look at Jeremiah's scrolls and I see what, why we are in the place we are at, part of it was because we were disobeying what was written in the law of Moses. Because now I'm looking at the law of Moses and I'm realizing it is time to confess both sin and to confess that we deserve this punishment. Now, I do want to stop and address one thing really quickly. It's kind of like a little tangent. Um, There are great principles for us here, but the nation of Israel was unique. They were God's chosen people as a nation. We are not as a nation. (laughs) There are commands here for how we as a church should live how we as families and households should live. But Israel was unique and God had given them specific instruction with specific punishment that was coming and that's what they were living in right at that moment and it was paining Daniel deeply and it said, he has carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we've not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all that he has done. Notice he just said he was righteous in bringing the punishment that he said that they deserved. We don't like that one either, do we? That's also probably a cultural sin. He says, but we have not obeyed him. I love the theological understanding Daniel has here. He knew the depths of his sin, the depths of his culture's sin, and he knew the richness of God's justice. And now, finally, in verse 15, he finally gets to his request. (laughs) He says, now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is today, we've sinned, we've acted wickedly, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from the city of Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petition of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. And you'll notice Even in making his request, he still does it for the sake of God. He says, for your character, for your name, for your renown. He's begging God to do what God had already promised that he would do. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that bears your name. For we're not presenting our petitions based on our righteous acts. He's like, we're not asking you to do this because we're good people. But based on your abundant compassion, he's looping back to the beginning of his, his, his prayer. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. And this is all we have of Daniel's prayer. That's it. So during this series, 
we have introduced more prayer in our services than we've had in, in many years. And, and this came from a growing conviction that we are very intentional with a lot that we do at RIV. We're intentional about our teaching. We're intentional about our music. We're intentional about a lot of things. And we've just kind of been phoning in our prayer times. And so we've, over the course of the series, we've tried a bunch of different ways to pray during the service. And I'll tell you, some of them have been great and some of them have been really clunky if you've been here. You know, right? It's been awkward sometimes. And, and we're going to continue doing this. We're going to continue trying different ways of praying and engaging in prayer with the Lord because we really truly believe that it's a crucial part of the Christian faith, so it should be a crucial part of our services. And so what we're doing today is something even weirder than what we've done. We're sticking the prayer time in the middle of the sermon right now. And this is what we're going to do. Right now, smack dab in the middle of the teaching, we are going to do a style of prayer um, that we haven't done at RIV very often. We're going to pray out loud a prayer of confession. And we're going to do it as a little bit of a call and response. The words of this prayer, by the way, we just ripped right out of Daniel. <laughs> So we're just going to quote Daniel here for a little bit, and we're going to put it on the screen. And what we're going to do is, in a minute, I'm going to have everybody stand up, and then I'm going to read part of it, and then you're going to respond with part of it. And we're going to go back and forth and do Daniel's prayer of confession for ourselves. You down? All right, let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But this day, public shame belongs to us because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petition of your servants. Listen closely, our God, and hear, for we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. Our God, for your own sake, do not delay because your church and your people bear your name. Amen. You may be seated. So listen to what happens next with Daniel. He prays this prayer and then it says this, it says, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel, this is why this is all the prayer that we have, because he's at this point in his prayer and something happens. So something interrupts him right now. He says, while I'm doing this and presenting my petition before the Lord of my God concerning the holy mountain of my God, while I was praying, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in the first vision, you may remember this is the angel Gabriel from chapter eight, that Gabriel um, reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering and he gave me this explanation. <laughs> Daniel here, notice this, he just keeps praying. He's praying, he's praying, he is praying. And then Gabriel shows up on the scene and he says, he gave me this explanation. Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out 
and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. So consider the message and understand the vision. Now, there is a sense in which this is one of my favorite verses about prayer in the entire Bible. Because so often, we tend to think that prayer is kind of stupid. We're just kind of talking to the sky. Our culture says to us, oh, thoughts and prayers is a dumb, stupid thing to do. But what happened when Daniel began to pray? Somehow, in the grand scheme of the universe, when Daniel began to pray, that was the precise trigger that God used to send this angel to begin to do something, right? It was the necessary act that, that, that moved something supernatural in this world. And think about how crazy this is. If God knows everything, if he's already got the whole world figured out, if he's already chosen his followers, why would we bother praying? It's in Gabriel's words, and it's so good. The moment that Daniel began to pray, God gave a command that unleashed the armies of heaven to do his bidding. These armies went out in this movement to restore Jerusalem. The very thing that God said is going to happen after 70 years, the necessarily trigger for it to happen had to happen 66 years later when Daniel began to pray. How does that work? I don't know. But it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's what we're invited into. Now, this next thing that happens is Gabriel gives Daniel an explanation of some of the vision that he's had, talks to him about what's going to happen in the future for Daniel and what's going to happen in the future for us. And I really wanted to skip it because it didn't really fit with this sermon. It's kind of like an extra mini sermon, but too many people have asked me about this. So I'm going to stop right now and I'm going to do a five-minute mini-sermon in the middle of the sermon. For those of you who care, everyone else, you can take a nap. You ready? Get out your watches. I'm going to do it myself. Let's see. Five minutes. Let's see if we can do it. Oh, that's a timer button. We don't want that. It's going to make noise. Okay, ready? And go. This section here is prophecy. It was already predetermined in advance, and it was the answer to Daniel's prayer. And because prophecy is about the future, there is widespread disagreement between faithful followers of Jesus about what this means. So let me just read this weird section, and then I'm going to give you my best understanding. You ready? Here we go. Starting in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this, says Gabriel to Daniel, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, the ruler, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. And after those 62 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. And the people of the coming rule will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, and until the end, there will be a war. Desolations are decreed. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be a wing on the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Put that on your refrigerator. <laughs> I love desolator at the end. It's like uh, uh, doofenshmirtz. Um, if you don't get that, that's on you. Um, so what does this mean? Again, any interpretation we have of this chunk, we have to hold loosely, right? 
Let me just give you my best shot. The phrase 70 weeks at the beginning is misleading because it literally says in the original language, 77s, which also, by the way, is one of the best Christian bands of all time. Look it up. Um, and, and we tend to think in increments of 10 in our culture, right? We think of 10 years as a decade. We think of 10 decades as a century, uh, that sort of thing, 10 centuries as a millennia, things like that. But, but Israelites would have thought in sevens. Everything was sevens. And so they think about their week as seven, with the seventh day being the Sabbath. They would think of the fact that you'd take um, every seven years would be a Sabbath year, which would be a Sabbath year of rest. And every seven sevens, which is 490 years, would be a year of Jubilee, which is the year that everyone would be set free from their financial debts with no strings attached, okay? That was the year of Jubilee 490. I think this 77s is not 70 weeks, but is actually years, which should make it 490 years. Now, when is this whole thing going to happen, this 490 years? I don't know. This is a future prophecy about Israel. It's a future prophecy about Jerusalem. Remember, this is an answer to the prayer that Daniel had about Jerusalem. But what's happening is Gabriel is saying, you know what the answer is? This is not just about the 70 years here. The 70 years here is actually a picture of the 490 years that are coming in the future. So he's like, this is a little snapshot of what is eventually going to happen. And something is going to happen with the restoration of Jerusalem, and somehow there will be someone who will, see if this sounds familiar, bring rebellion to an end, put a stop to sin, atone for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal a vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place. Does that person sound familiar? It's about Jesus, right? Now, there's another character in here that we will talk more about next week, so I'm going to leave it alone for now. It's the one who brings the abomination of desolation, the desolator, right? But let me just give you a hint of what that is. Jesus referred specifically to this in Matthew 24, where Jesus said this, and we read this earlier in the series. The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation, in other words, when Jesus said this, he was saying it hasn't happened yet. So, right? So some people would say, oh, that already happened. No, this didn't happen yet because Jesus says it's still coming. The abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet of Daniel. He's like referring to this specific passage. Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man in the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back and get his coat. In other words, it's going to get really, really bad, Right? And immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. What is this all about? (laughs) This is about Jesus' return. That Jesus, who came and lived a sinless life, and died on the cross, and rose again bodily, ascended into heaven, and one day he is going to return. But Daniel had no language for this because Jesus hadn't even been born yet. He would have had no category to put this in when describing this this vision that Gabriel had given him. It's still in the future. Here's the deal. God will restore Israel Jesus will come as king. He will establish his kingdom. And we're going to learn a lot more about that next week. The bottom line is it's all about Jesus and and God keeps his promises. And five minutes and 36 seconds. Shoot, I went too long. All right, there you go.
Now, here's the thing. Here's what happens next. Look at this. It says, in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar. And the message was true and was about a great conflict. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil in my body until the three weeks were over. And so now what we have is Daniel's having another vision, and this is now five weeks later, or five, sorry, five years later. And so Daniel is now either almost 90 or in his 90s. And he is now mourning for three weeks. And we don't know anything about his mourning or why he was mourning. I think it's probably connected to all that he just heard, all this vision. Because that's freaky stuff, right? He'd probably been thinking about this for five years. And it kept bothering him. And he knew there was this restoration of Jerusalem to happen. And, and so he's, he's panicking about all this. And so remember, Daniel, when he was 17 years old, he served the Babylonian government until he was his, 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 his whole life, right? And so then he got into his 50s and he was troubled. And he got into his 70s and he was troubled. And he got into his 80s. He's troubled. And now he's like 90 years old. He's still troubled. <laughs> and I love this. This is on the 24th day of the first month as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Uphaz around his waist. And his body was like barrel, his face like the, and I love the word like when it shows up in prophecies. Cause it's like, I don't know a word for this. I got to come up with something. It's I'm, 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 I'm like, like, right. His face is like the brilliance of lightning. His eyes are, are like, like flaming torches. His arms and feet, like, they're, they're like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his, his words were like, like, like the sound of a multitude. Like, right, like, like Daniel's trying to put words down, right? He's trying to figure out ways to describe this. And so does this person that he sees, this man that he sees, does this man sound familiar? Well, let me read to you from the last book of the Bible on a prophecy of something that's still in the future to happen. In the book of Revelation, it says this, and among the lampstands was one like the son of man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. This is the son of man, who is also the son of God. This is Jesus. And, and I love that at the end of Daniel's life, Jesus shows up. This is what we call pre-incarnate Jesus, which means that Jesus hadn't been born yet. But remember, Jesus is eternal. Jesus has always existed. He has always been the son of God. He has always is, right? And so he appears here to Daniel. He appears and stands before him. And check out the result, verse 7. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me didn't. But a great terror fell on them, and they ran and hid, and I was left alone, looking at this great vision, and no strength was left in me, and my face grew deathly pale, and I was powerless, and I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Jesus appears to Daniel, and no one else could see him, but they freaked out. Why did they freak out? Because they could sense his holiness. They could sense his righteousness. They could sense the gap between who he is and who they were. And it so frightened them that they ran away. And the only person left there is 90-year-old Daniel. And he's 
staring at Jesus and it says all of his strength melts away. And, and here's my favorite part. It says, I heard the words that he said. And when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep. Now, we don't know what Jesus said to him. I think that's beautiful. Because I think it was tender. It was personal. It was just for Daniel. And his words were so comforting that Daniel was finally able to rest. And this is Jesus' offer to you today. You may not have had a terrifying apocalyptic vision in your sleep last night. Probably not. But you've got stuff that keeps you awake at night. And you have mental and emotional toil that maybe is even having physical symptoms with you. And I can't help but wonder if the message that Jesus whispered to Daniel was the same one he gave to us in Matthew 11. Where Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you are weary and burdened like Daniel, come to Jesus and he will give you rest. Watch this. It says, suddenly, a hand touched me and set me, shaking on my hands and feet. So Daniel's asleep and someone wakes him up, right? Suddenly, he's just, he's dead asleep. Someone shakes him and wakes him up. And he said to me, the one that touched him, Daniel, you're a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. And after he said this, I stood trembling. These are cool words, and, and there's difference of opinion. Some people believe that the vision that Daniel just had was an angel. I believe it was Jesus. And some people think that this is the same person, but I think it's someone else. And we'll get into that next week. I think Jesus appears to him, speaks to him. He falls asleep, and now an angel comes that Jesus sent, and the angel wakes him up, and the angel brings him a message from Jesus. And here's the message, he says. You are precious to God. The angel is saying to an old man who has lived a difficult, prayerful, faithful life, Jesus loves you, and every day has been worth it. He says, don't be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before God, your prayers were heard, and I've come because of your prayers. And what did he tell him? That's next week. <laughs> so let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this tender image of this old guy that Jesus loves. Help us not to get so wrapped up in the apocalyptic visions in these passages that we forget that simple truth that we are precious to you. We are so precious to you that you sent your son Jesus to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to raise again, to ascend to heaven, 
And that one day we are so precious that Jesus will come back for us. Help us not to forget that truth today. Help us to remember that when life is falling apart and it's more than we can take, when the emotional and mental toil starts to turn physical for us, that we are beloved. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray today. Amen.